Good morning. The Lord bless you this morning. If you'll turn with the book to the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, we want to continue on with our study. Uh, this study is a study that I was triggered on to uh, talk about the seven uh, deadly sins. And uh, I've been taking a tack from that, reading a good deal about the comments the early church fathers made about this, Augustine, some of the others. They called uh, these seven sins the seven deadly sins. There are a great deal more sins than these that they name, but we go through these, and it's been very interesting to read various versions. Uh, they give different names. Sometimes uh, the authors give different names and sometimes very good insights. I have a very old book. I don't know where I got it, but I have a very old book on those. And, and it was uh, uh, talking about uh, lust, and it calls it luxuria. And so it was very interesting because an ancient writer and to give the terms that they give. So I've been trying to read in the various uh, facets to give something interesting uh, that we talk about. So what we're really dealing with is the uh, conquering or gaining victory over the flesh. Uh, flesh, you never do cast out. You get, you get uh, uh, dominion over it. And then you move on to something else, and next thing you know, it has a resurrection, comes back to life. So that's our lower nature, spoken about in Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. And uh, it doesn't mean that there's some magic formula. You have uh, some event, you have a conflict, you have a testing, and then uh, you get the victory over it. You'll never be bothered by it again. Uh, it means that it's something you have to constantly maintain through the various uh, changes of life, through the various circumstances and arenas of life. And so I've been uh, moving through these, and uh, this morning we're going to take one from Proverbs chapter 14. So I wonder if somebody would uh, get Proverbs 14 for us here. Tom uh, Kay wants to get that for me. Then I want Proverbs, I mean Isaiah rather, 14, 12 through 14. I want somebody in that section help me very quickly. Anybody is, Owen, is it? Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. Genesis 4, 4 through 8 is Jeff Cooper. I want 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. Somebody help me in this section, which is Dennis. Uh, 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9 is Joel. And 1 Kings 21, 1 through 4. Somebody help me with that. Uh, is uh, Frank Bruner, if you'll get that for me. Okay, we want to move through this and, uh, and get a little bit of understanding, a little uh, tricky uh, understanding that we have. So this one is uh, Proverbs 14, 30, and it's defeating envy. And envy is one of the most destructive uh, emotions that seeks to lay hold of the human personality. It's often uh, nearly so visible, uh, but sometimes not so visible as the characteristics of, uh, of the fallen nature. But nevertheless, it's deadly. And uh, sometimes you don't recognize it as uh, such. 
So envy uh, is used in this text we're going to use very quite interestingly uh, as uh, someone who has cancer of the bones. Henry Wright in his book, he projects that uh, as sometimes can be the root of cancer of the bones and uh, whether that's debatable or not. Uh, it's a book a more excellent way. So Tom, read for us Proverbs 14.30, uh, Defeating Envy. A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Okay, so uh, this is an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting projection because in the Bible it sometimes gives roots of uh, physical impairments, physical disease, and this one is a hint at that. Whether that is uh, always true or not is uh, debatable, but we'll leave it, leave it to that. So, as always, we have to go back uh, and get the ancient story again of Lucifer and uh, uh, Lucifer's ambition was rooted in uh, envy. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you were fallen from heaven, O Gaznar, son of Don. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Okay, so we, uh, I think we touched on this scripture when we're dealing with pride. Uh, eight times, he says, I will. Uh, seven times, I will. And uh, uh, he, <coughs> Satan is envious of God. And this lays the foundation for rebellion. Pride and rebellion are joined together very closely. Uh, you recall that in the study on pride, that uh, one author says that pride is the queen of all these uh, various sins. It's like a queen riding in a chariot and all these others riding beasts that are drawing this. And so this is an image that has been given. And so pride and rebellion go hand in hand and uh, this uh, quickly computes out in uh, fallen humanity. Genesis 4, 4 through 8. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fell? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So Cain's envious of his brother's blessing from God. That's very apparent according to the text. Uh, but there's a difference between jealousy and envy. And sometimes jealousy and envy, as you're reading, is tied together. But there is a difference uh, from that. And uh, jealousy is an emotion that perceives a threat to what one possesses. In other words, someone has something, they have a position, they have a belonging, they have uh, 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 a, some kind of uh, state, and someone else is jealous of that, and they perceive that someone is uh, is uh, is threatening that? Uh, so, Second Corinthians eleven verse two. 
For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So here God puts that in the context of theology, and he's talking about believers, and he says, I'm jealous of you, believers. And uh, you'll find uh, several places in the Bible that says that God is a jealous God. So we have uh, godly jealousy, which is a righteous jealousy. But uh, uh, envy, uh, one author says, the pain we feel when we perceive another individual that possesses an object, quality, or position that we do not possess. Now, we see this uh, out uh, uh Quite frequently, uh, we are in the disciple-making business. We are working with men and uh, people to try to produce in them a quality of ministry to make them productive. And it's not uncommon at all for a disciple to be jealous of another success or position. I remember years ago when uh, I went to Australia, the the, uh, pastor there was here set up a, a competitive, him and another pastor had set up a competitive uh, chart. And so they had a chart with stars on it. And if you got good, well, you put it up, which is bad, bad mistake. And uh, so that's not what we do, but uh, them not knowing what we do, why well, they didn't do what we do. So that isn't that common. And so uh, you'll see that quite frequently. We launch one worker out and uh, replace him with another worker, and all of a sudden you've got, you've got people uh, who are in discipleship, they're in a funk. Say, what's wrong with him? Well, the problem is envious because somebody got ahead of him in line or perceived that they were uh, achieving more, and so they're envious of that position, and uh, this is a, uh, it's a, it's a deadly dimension. So, uh, 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 first Samuel eighteen six through nine. Now it happened as they were coming home, David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing, dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands. And David is ten thousand. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed the weight of ten thousand. To me, they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can he have but the king? So Saul, I gave him that day forward. So here's a very insightful event: is uh, they're successful, the nation is uh, protected, they have a tremendous. Uh, uh, tremendous blessing. They uh, gain a victory over the Philistines. And uh, the women are singing. They're rejoicing about all of this. And uh, as they're singing, they said, uh, 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 Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his ten thousands. Well, he was happy when they sang that Saul had slain his thousand. But when he heard David his ten thousand, suddenly uh, envy rises up, and uh, he perceives that perhaps his position is going to be threatened because David's very popular, and so uh, this puts him in a funk. And so uh, this is a common biblical, uh, historical uh, event. So there are deadly elements that are released in a person's personality when envy begins to lay hold of them. And uh, one uh, author says envy shoots at others 
and wounds itself, as in many other emotions, uh, this is what we have. First Kings tw uh, 21, 1 through 4. And it came to pass that after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, the king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth and Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down in his bed and turned away his face and he could eat no more. Okay, here is a uh, very, very, this man is a king. Uh, he has all the uh, uh, trappings, uh, blessing, uh, wealth, uh, honor. He has all of this. But Naboth has a vineyard that's close to his house that he wants. And so uh, he, he, uh, he, tries to, he tries to trade him for it or buy him for it. But there's an interesting dimension in the Israeli mindset that uh, lands that were in the family traditionally would not be uh, sold. And it even goes in some of God's direction. So uh, he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I won't sell this to it. I'm not going to trade it to you. I'm not going to do this. And so here's this guy. And uh, actually, I'm preaching on this. It, uh, coincidentally, I'm preaching on that this morning using that as my text. But think about that now. Here's a grown man. And so he goes into his uh, room, turns his uh, back, uh, his face to the wall, and begins to pout. He's pouting. And so, uh, long story short, uh, his wife Jezebel comes in and says, uh, what's the matter with you? As well, Naboth wouldn't sell me that vineyard. And so uh, she says, oh, just relax, big boy. I'll get you that vineyard. And so she arranges the murder of Naboth, uh, for which eventually Ahab pays with his life. So here is a, an extreme, and yet it brings out, pinpoints that. Here's a man that has everything that uh, would be a blessing in life, but he didn't get the one thing that he wants, and so he begins to pout. It puts him in a funk. So let's stop right there and see if we are identifying uh, anybody. I'm uh, sure nobody here has that problem at all. Somebody gets promoted on the job, and you know that, it, that it's not right. Uh, it's because they were, uh, there were various kinds of terms that we could give and won't. And uh, somebody gets a, uh, uh, buys a new house or gets a new car or uh, those various things. And so that I remember Greg telling about his uh, neighbor in the, when he lived in South Africa that uh, everything that, that uh, somebody else would get, they had to get one better or immediately because of envy. This, this is very powerful. Okay, let's open it up for some, uh, uh, some uh, uh, input or questions that, that how this plays out in real life where you are. And I've got Rob. Uh, along with that, uh, in several of these, I see uh, people and some of the uh, circumstances you're describing is people comparing themselves with somebody and saying, okay, they have it, I don't, or, you know, a position or whatever, and 
What is of the devil? Comparison, Comparison okay. Oh, I can, yes, indeed. <laughs> you see, what we have right now is we have a president who is uh, governing by Saul Alinsky's playbook, Rules for Revolution, which exploits class envy. That's what he's doing right now. If you know what it is, if you haven't read that little book, you need to read it and you'll understand what's happening in our nation. And so, has anybody ever heard of those uh, filthy rich one percenters? You ever heard of those people? How many have heard of it? I'm just talking, okay, some of you don't read enough, or you, don't know, you don't even know the world you're living in. So remember that uh, when we're talking about the budget and all of that, that, uh, that uh, the Messiah began to talk about these wealthy uh, one percenters. They need to pay more taxes. And if they pay more taxes, we wouldn't be having this problem that we have. So let's just pass some laws and get those people. See, that's class envy. What it is. That's class warfare. And that's what's happening right now in our nation, uh, is that people who are wealthy, they must have stolen to get that, or they must be dishonest somehow. It couldn't be because they're smarter than we are, or that they uh, uh, worked harder in business. So uh, uh, then this laid hold of, and you, and you could see it everywhere. But yeah, that's right. Yeah, those guys need to pay a lot more taxes. And that way we won't have to pay more. And so this is envy being exploited. So that's just one, this is one event. Does that strike any note with you, Rob? That's how it operates. And so, but uh, I use the illustration down in disciple making. Uh, we, we run into this quite frequently and uh, you, you have to get past that. Uh, God uh, sees the heart. Can you say amen? So we have the, uh, we have the uh, Samuel, uh, he comes uh, to select out a king that's going to be God's selection. And so uh, Jesse brings uh, his sons out. Uh, if my memory serves me correctly, it's uh, his firstborn. If any blessing is going to come in the family, it ought to be the firstborn. So he brings Eliab out, and Samuel sees Eliab. Eliab, he's handsome. He looks like he's the, absolutely, he would be the guy. And he's just about to anoint him king when God, up, up, up. that's not the one. Uh, 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 I, I don't see like man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. So he moves through the whole bunch, and uh, when he moves through the whole bunch, uh, nobody, uh, God's not spoken about anybody. He says, is this all, all the sons you have? He said, well, I've got this kid out there herding sheep. Uh, uh, surely he wouldn't be the one. He said, bring him in. And the minute he brought him in, God says, that's the one. And he anointed David as king. So that's how that operates. Then you have the, uh, I think we're going to have in that lesson, the sons of Joseph, uh, the brothers of Joseph. And uh, Joseph was his father's favorite. And remember, he made him a coat of many colors. And uh, besides that, he starts having dreams. And so uh, he dreams that uh, they're out 
reaping in the field, and uh, his sheaf is standing up, and all their sheaves are bowing down to him. He says, man, this dream I had last night, can you believe this dream? Isn't that a wonderful dream? They said, no, we hate you. And then he saw the moon and the stars and told that one. And so they sold him uh, into slavery by traveling uh, slave men into Egypt. That's why he winds up in Potiphar's house. So that's how it operates. And uh, there could be a debate that his father caused this because of favoritism, which may possibly be there. But uh, nevertheless, that's envy. That's how it operates. That help you? Any other suggestions? Okay. Someone else? Uh, Phil Mayotte. Where a quote by Mark Twain that really capsulized it for me. I never forgot that. He said, only one out of ten can handle success, but only one out of hundred can handle another man's success. <laughs> so one out of ten can handle success, but one out of a hundred can handle another man's success, or hundreds, yeah. Very good quote. I don't think I remember reading that. I, I have uh, read others by him. It's pretty close, but that's very good. And Casey? Uh, the company that I work at, every year we go to the interviews, and we begin talking to the men, and we basically say, don't share your wage review with other guys. And we use the example that three guys can get a wage increase they're all extremely satisfied, but when they come together and start talking, one guy walks away really happy, two guys walk away mad. And it's this thing that you trust and you your content until you find out. It's common to life. So we uh, we have the thing that we have to deal with here is we have uh, missionaries all over the world, and we're not the only ones that are sending out missionaries. Many, many of our nations, many of our people, and so uh, things go along fine until they start finding out what kind of benefits, wages, what kind of car they get, what kind of help they get. And next thing you know, you got everybody's in a funk because uh, because somebody's getting more support than they're getting, or they think they are. And so this is why everybody wants to come to Prescott to be sent to the mission field. So. And none of them getting rich, I can tell you for sure. But it, it's human nature. Someone else has something more than you have, and uh, it uh, creates it. Anybody else? Good, very good comments. Uh, Wayne Cook. I think it's pretty much common nature to experience envy and I believe the Lord looks not at just whether we experience it or how we respond to it. Personally, something that I have done on a regular basis that seems to help me is as soon as that thought comes in mind, wow, she or he has that, or wish I could have that, uh, if I know that person, go to that person and say something along the lines of, I'm really happy for you that you got this or you got that promotion or whatever. It actually does something in my heart to turn it around, turn the envy into real happiness for that person. Just saying the words. That's the solution. Very rare. Okay. So let's move on. Uh, I want to get uh, uh, I want to get to Genesis. Uh, 
37, 3 and 4. Somebody right here, please. Genesis 37, 3 and 4, Phil Mayot. Acts 7, verse 9. His twister, if you'll get that for me. So uh, if you read the Bible, you you find out that, uh, that uh, Ahab was judged for Naboth's death, uh, exactly like God did. And so then I mentioned <coughs> Joseph's brothers. We want to get the scripture for that. Genesis 37, 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Acts 7, verse 9, the New Testament picks this up. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was in us. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, Egypt, but God was with him. Okay, so this is a tremendous hindrance to the work of God. I want to uh, get this in the scripture. Mark nine thirty-eight to 40 over on the wall. Somebody help me. Is, is it Steve? If you'll read that for me. Uh, Casey, John three twenty-six and 27. Alan, will you get for me Matthew 20? Uh, 20 through 24. So this hinders uh, the, the work of God. And uh, sometimes this has to do with people who are not in our group. We have this occasion in the, in the, in the uh, uh, New Testament. Jesus is with the disciples and uh, someone else that's not in the 12 disciples is doing a work for God. And this begins to disturb them and they complain. Mark 9, 38 to 40. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. Okay, that's the... Uh... That's the tendency to criticize or to discount those that are not a part of your group. John three twenty six and 27. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered him, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Okay, this is a very, very insightful passage here. Uh, they came uh, uh, to John the Baptist, who began baptizing, announcing the coming of the Lord Jesus. And uh, they said, look, uh, Jesus now is baptizing. He's baptizing more, many than you, more than you are. And John said, a man can receive nothing except he's given him from God. And uh, he gained the victory over that, a right perspective that the blessing of God he appreciated rather than felt uh, envious uh, of. So within the disciples at Aim at Ministry, Matthew 20, uh, verses 20 through 24. And then came to him with the mother of Zebedee's children with her son, worshiping, worshiping, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing. And he said unto her, what do you want? She said unto him, 
Grant that these two stones may sit, one on the right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, We do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink this cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, You shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Sit on my right hand and my left, not me to give, but shall be given to them for whom is prepared by my father. And when they tend first, they'll move with against the brother. Okay, here's the, uh, the element there, the envy that's working in who's going to be uh, on top, who's going to be ahead. And so one thing that you have to factor into life is God rules and overrules. Can you say amen? And we often forget that. And we begin to try to uh, maneuver. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, have intelligence, have uh, try to better yourself and so on. But you need to remember that actually God is God and he's active in life and his blessing will come. It may not come when you want it, but uh, in all the events of life, he rules and he overrules. I want First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4 over on my right. Is, uh, Woody, if you get that for me. Then I want uh, uh, Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Somebody in this section here. Quickly help me. Is, uh, is it Rob? Rob. And then uh, 16, 1 through 6. Then Genesis 21, 8 through 11 is uh, McCarthy. If you get that for me, we want to move through that. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Here's a statement. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Okay, so here uh, it talks about envy. It begins to work in the human personality. And uh, uh, if, you, if, you, if you have an element of love, It'll remove a lot of that and help you through life. So prejudice uh, and discontentment and ambition is a, a very, very real that has to factor in that. And to the extent that one adopts a worldview of being content with what one has uh, will help you to go a long way towards conquering envy. Uh, discontentment is a, and that's what was a problem with Ahab. He's not satisfied with what he has. He wants what he doesn't have. And uh, envies the feeling. Someone's wrote, envies the feeling of pain that person experiences when he sees that someone else possesses something that we do not. Remember that. Envy. That. So has anybody ever heard of Occupy Wall Street? How many of you? Let me see your hand. Okay, the rest of you need to come out of the dark ages. Occupy Wall Street was a little uh, thing that ran through our uh, our uh, country, and uh, it's uh, pretty much passed from the scene. Although the the uh, dedicated ones are still there, I understand in that park. And so, uh, in a nutshell, what Occupy Wall Street was all about: they went down and demonstrated, uh, and as they demonstrated, it was a demonstration against those wealthy fat cats on Wall Street that have all that money. And so in a nutshell, you have money. I don't have money. You have money because you worked for it and earned it. I don't have any money because I'm not working. 
I want your money, and you should give it to me because, after all, uh, egalitarianism or equality ought to work uh, uh, in my behalf, and you ought to share that with me. And so they, uh, they uh, uh, demonstrated, they parked in this park, they did dope there, they fornicated, they defecated, they did everything there, nasty bunch of, uh, of uh, uh, slobs. And so that's what Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street was all about. It triggered uh, in Seattle, it triggered in Washington, D.C., triggered in New York City, and uh, those are the names that come to me. I read articles on there. And so there it is again. Uh, someone had something that they didn't have, and by demonstrating, they were uh, lobbying that uh, people are responsible to give that to it. And so the Messiah in Washington, if you remember, uh, he uh, put his label on that, said, that's right, that's good, uh, that ought to happen. And so I think it's finally uh, wound down somewhat, but that's, uh, that's what was there. So what that has to do with income inequality and a movement that income ought to be equal. And so uh, we live in a wonderful nation that has uh, that has accomplished something never been accomplished before as far as the wealth of the common man. And that, uh, that is because of capitalism. Capitalism is the idea that you are free to create something that, uh, that someone wants and will pay for. And if you're successful at that, then you can make good money out of it. That's what capitalism is all about. Uh, and so uh, income equality never has been uh, a factor, never will be. But because of this uh, capitalistic mindset and a free market uh, 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 idea, this has blessed us sitting here in this, in this building. If you went to some of the other uh, countries, you'll find people who are extremely rich and people who are extremely poor. There is no middle class. And those that are rich uh, exploit the uh, very poor uh, and uh, nothing ever gets any better. And so they have various, uh, various expressions of that. But this is the blessing that we've been blessed with in America. And so the minimum wage thing that they're trying to put out, you know, if, if, they, if they put the, how much does McDonald's hamburgers count today? What's a Big Mac cost? I don't eat there, so I'm asking. How, how much? Six bucks, How much? You said six bucks. Six bucks, okay. So if the minimum wage goes in, it won't cost six bucks anymore, it'll cost nine. Because people are in business to make money. People are not in business to help you. They may have compassion on you, but they want, they want what you can produce at your job that'll make them money. And so if they can produce a Big Mac now for six bucks and make a profit on it, they'll do that. But if they have to jack their wages above seven, 10 or whatever, or whatever they're gonna demand, uh, then they're not going to be able to sell you that. They have to jack the price up. And so the market rules, never forget it. Some of you are actually ignorant because you're a product of the educational system of America and you've missed that totally. You don't, uh, and all you can think about is these dirty bosses that are not paying you enough money. Well, 
Free market uh, means that the business rules, uh, and uh, and uh, as 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 business rule, these people are in business to make money. That's what capitalism is all about. And if they can't make money, then they're not going to be in business. They're not doing your business so that you can have a job. It's just that simple. And there may be some complications to that, but this is that simple. And so uh, it, many people who have a lot of money are no longer doing business, they're vacating America now because they see what's coming down in the tax structure and it's becoming oppressive and so they're finding other places to do business at and uh, this is what it's all about. So uh, equality uh, uh, does, not, does not exist in the real world. Capitalism does, uh, business making money does, and so here we have it and uh, uh, income equality is a myth. Now, there are many examples to illustrate in family life and society. We're going to talk about Sarah and Hagar, the dynamics uh, that are there. Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bearing no children, as she had a mandate and an Egyptian, the name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has restrained me from bearing. I pray you to go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children like her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took her and took Hagar for maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt with her in the land of Canaan. And gave, gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abram, My God be upon thee, I have given my name into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had deceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy name is in thy hand. Do her as it pleases thee. And when Sarah had dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Okay, here's a strange story to us in the Bible. Uh, in uh, biblical days, if a woman could not conceive, they sometimes would have a handmaid that bore children so that they'd have children. So you can almost uh, prophesy what the outcome of this is going to be. So here's a, this Egyptian handmaid. She bears, and then she uh, is filled with pride now and looks at Sarah and despises her because I have born a child and you can't. And so this turmoil is in the household, caused a conflict immediately, uh, and uh, the jealousy and envy begins to play out. Genesis 21, 8 through 11. So the child grew with wheat, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, stalking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman with her son. The son of the bondwoman shall not be paired with my son, Nathan and Isaac. And that was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of the son. Okay, here's this little drum playing out. So we move it uh, fast forward a little bit, and uh, uh, Ishmael comes on the scene. He is the child of Hagar uh, by the handmaiden of, uh, of uh, uh, Sarah. Did I give numbers 11, 25 through 29 or not? No. So let me just tell, tell the story. And uh, so it comes time to, uh, to uh, circumcise, if I remember correctly, Isaac, who's the, who Sarah now bears, and Ishmael now uh, begins to mock 
And as he begins to mock, uh, he envies Isaac, and uh, that causes another upheaval. And they're finally cast out, and you know the story there. I want numbers uh, 11, 25 through 29. Somebody help me over here quickly. Is uh, Ted, uh, 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 yeah, K, Tom K, numbers 11, 25 through 29. I want Second Samuel 28 through 10. Help me in here quickly. Is uh, Jeff Cooper. I want First Peter 2, verse 5. Who is it? Steve Fernandez. Okay, so this, all these dramas are played out in the Bible. Now you know the story that uh, Moses has the children of God in the wilderness. He's leading them. Uh, there's perhaps two and a half million. Uh, there's conflicts in, in people. How many of you know that groups of people have conflicts? Uh, churches never have that problem, but groups of people do. So uh, he's having to counsel them. And uh, his Jethro, his father-in-law, says, "Listen, you're you're gonna you're gonna die from uh, from uh, stress and strain. You need to uh, get seventy uh, other people and uh, have them break them up among the congregation of, of the people. They can counsel that the spirit that is upon you come upon them, and uh, this uh, is uh, what comes to pass. Numbers eleven twenty-five through twenty-nine." Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the seventy elders. And it happened when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle Yet they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses assisted. One of his chosen men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that the Lord's people were prophets. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Okay, here's an interesting event. They say, uh, Eldad and Medad are prophesying Moses, Moses, and so he said, Are you envious for my sake? And so here we have this uh, scenario played out. Now we've got a murder that we need to deal with at Second uh, Samuel 20, 8 through 10. Somebody help me on that in this section. Uh, uh, Devon. Second Samuel 28 through 10, and I want First Peter 2, 5, or did I give that already? If I already gave it, that's fine. Okay, Second Samuel 28 through 10. When they were at the hard stone, which is in Gideon, Amasa came before them. Now Joab was dressed in battle On it was a belt with a sword, fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground. And he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Okay. His uh, ambitious people are especially... Uh, susceptible to envy. This, this Joab was a, was a bloody murderer. He's a nasty bird. If you read his history there, uh, it'll, it'll bring that out. So I want to give you some, um, uh, some scriptures 
if you write these down, because I'm not going to be able to finish, I want to open for Hebrews 13.4, Hebrews 13.4, Hebrews 13.5, Philippians 4.11 and 12, uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. These are dealing with com contentment. James 4.10, Colossians 3.12, Titus 3.2, and 1 Peter 5, 5. These are all dealing with contentment and with uh, jealousy and, and envy. Okay, let's, let's open for a few minutes uh, question and discussion. Betty Bronson. Sometimes women are very interesting, mothers especially. Women what? Are very interesting, mothers especially. Women are interesting, mothers especially, okay. Yeah. When I was in the nursery, this little incident happened. One of the mothers came to me and she said, Betty, my baby is walking at eight months old and everybody said how cute it was big, a big deal. And, and then my friend came along and saw this and she, and my, her baby isn't walking, they're, they're almost identical in age. And so this gal's baby wasn't walking, said, well, my doctor said that babies that walk early aren't as smart. <laughs> Is that true? Is my baby not going to be smart? I said, no, I think she's jealous and full of envy. And she is afraid that her baby isn't going to get as much attention. And your baby's going to be okay, I'm sure of it. Well, as time went on, I began to think about those things and read about some things. There was a woman in the news that her daughter felt like she wasn't being treated well enough as a cheerleader. And the mother had put out a contract on her and had that, that girl killed. It literally leads to that kind of thing. And when from a young age, children are exposed to their mother or their family's envy, it can set their life in an envious direction, not in one that wants to accomplish and do things on their own, but they, they begin to feel sorry for themselves and be envious of everyone else. And it can go into adulthood for, for really, really big problems. That mother wasn't in our congregation, was it? <laughs> Very good, that's true. And so, uh, what is the famous statement by Abraham Lincoln from the Gettysburg Address? All men are created equal, but some are more equal than others. That's the way life is. That, 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 it's just, it's life. Some people, uh, you know, some people are gifted wonderfully uh, from birth. Others, uh, they just, a little slower, you know. And so, uh, I'm always envious of musicians. Uh, that uh, you seem to, every instrument they pick up, they can play. And I can't hardly even sing. And so uh, all of life is like that, and you have to adjust to it. Or what is the statement? Get over it. Okay. Uh, it's uh, Yvonne Hessenauer. The first vote that Occupy Wall Street was that most of the people, most of the young people that demonstrated were from very wealthy families, and they go home to their their mansions and, you know, to where their parents lived and everything. And, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize, too, that that 1%, we didn't have that 1%, you know, they're the ones that produce the jobs, you know, and um, so, but they don't take that into account. They don't think they're amassing all that money, but if we didn't have that 1%, we wouldn't have jobs. 
are the ones that create jobs. You mean they had businesses and they want to make more money? Oh, that's a great concept in America. Uh, Ken Herman. I remember uh, hearing or reading about uh, the calendar months of the year, and uh, some of them are named after Caesars from Rome. And one of the Caesars found out that his month only had 30 days, another guy had 31 days, so he stole a day out of February, and it might happen more than once. That's one of the reasons February only has 28 days, First time I heard that, that's news. Uh, Orrin Mayock. I was reading this study, it was on a, actually a column that a, a guy named Jonah Goldberg had written about envy. And he was, he was saying that there was a, a study was done in different neighborhoods across America about income. And what was happening was, there, the question was, are you comfortable making this amount of money? And they would say, yes. Okay, how about your neighbor? Are you okay with your neighbor making $30,000 more than you? And they said, no. Okay, and then they asked that person, okay, but what if you made, say if you're making $50,000 now, and you got a raise, and you were making $80,000 a year, would it still be okay if your neighbor made $100,000? And they thought for sure that they'd be, oh yeah, no problem. And to their astonishment, to the, the, the researchers, they said, no, I would rather that I made $50,000 and that my neighbor made $50,000 rather than I make 80 and then make 100. Yep. So Avon's talking about how, you know, a lot of these, you know, Occupy Wall Street yep. were, you know, going to college and having their college paid for by their parents. And how, you know, they're burning down buildings, they're yep. building parks, how envy actually damages us personally. Yep. And it's not just that we're bummed out that someone else has more than us, but we would actually take less and hurt ourselves more and not advance our own self just as long as the other crap in the bucket doesn't crawl. Shoots at others and wounds themselves. You're talking about what calls us revolution, Brother McKay. When my father and my, my sister and I were having a conversation, <clears throat> I said to her, Harold, I think our parents love you more. She said, John, I always thought they loved you more. <laughs> so when you take a look at the New Testament, what did John, the Apostle John say? The one that Jesus loved. So how the other ones feel? Yeah, okay, well. Our girls always thought that Greg, we loved him a lot more than we did all, all the girls. Always. He was the baby, and so we did that. Jeff Cooper, one last comment. When, uh, when people complain to me about rich people, I always tell them I've never worked for a poor person. <laughs> he says when people complain to them about rich people, he says, I never worked for poor people. Good comment. The Lord bless you. We'll continue this next.